It's Purim Katan. Purim Katan Sameach to all of our amazing listeners. And this time, each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kisisa. Parshas Kisisa contains nine mitzvos according to the Chinuch, four positive and five negative mitzvos. We begin the parsha with the mitzvah of Machzis HaShekel, the annual contribution that each individual was to make towards the communal sacrifices. Every morning, every afternoon, there was a Korban Tomit in the Beis HaMikdash. Every Shabbos, every Rosh Chodesh, every Yom Tov, there were communal Korbanos that were brought. These communal Korbanos were funded by and through the Machzis HaShekel, so everyone felt that they were literally participants, and the Baalim, the ones who were bringing the public communal offerings. You find in this week's parasha of Kisisa, ouch, the sin of the Egel Hazav, the golden calf. Every year the question comes, how could they do it? And more than that, I'd like to ask again the question of how could Moshe break something which was not his. We're told that Moshe comes down from the mountain, sees the Jewish people dancing around the golden calf. We're told in chapter 32, Pasuk 19, that he takes the uh, luchos, the tablets, and he breaks it under the mountain. Now, the question is, if Moshe realistically saw and thought that the Jewish people were not worthy at this time of and for the luchos, the tablets, how dare he break them? What he should have done at first glance was he should have returned them to sender. He should have returned them to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and saying, I don't think, etc. However, Moshe breaks them and you'll take a look at the last Rashi on the Torah. We see that God didn't simply tolerate. Hashem agreed with him and gives him a Yashakoach. So, a very interesting discussion for your Shabbos table. I'm just going to suggest two quick answers, and that is, according to the Meshachachma, Moshe was afraid, lest they come to worship the Luchos. Now that he sees them worshiping the golden calf, and as the Torah tells us, that these Luchos, these tablets, are so special. They are Ksuvim Bi'etzpa literally inscribed and etched with and by the finger of God himself. So lest they worship the Luchos, Moshe therefore broke the Luchos. And the Beis HaLevi suggests that Moshe, with his incredible love for the Jewish people, wanted to mitigate the circumstances. And as the Torah tells us, that God gives the luchos to Moshe, when he finished speaking 
teaching him on Mount Sinai. So the term that's used, kechaloso, Rashi picks up and says, like a chasan to a kala. The relationship between God and the Jewish people is that of a groom to a bride. And therefore, the luchos were the ring, the erisin, the betrothal, of God to the Jewish people in order to mitigate the circumstances and to make of the Jewish people not yet a kala, Moshe breaks the luchos and therefore they were not yet as guilty because the relationship between God and the Jewish people had not been formally cemented. The interesting point that I'd like to focus on this morning is, however, what happens with the broken pieces. So we know from the fifth book of the Torah, where Moshe recounts to the generation about to go into Eretz Yisrael, various events and supplements what we're not told earlier in the Torah we're told later so in the fifth book chapter 10 Pasuk 1 we see there that Hashem tells Moshe you are to make for yourself an ark of wood and Rashi tells you that this ark is not the ark that we've been reading about in the last two weeks in Parshas Truma, that which was um, made by Betzalel and the Jewish people to house the uh, tablets that would be given to the Jewish people, specifically um, when Moshe comes down from the mountain for the third and last time on Yom Kippur, but rather these, this ark was to house this tablet, the initial ones, the first ones, and so the broken pieces are put in this ark. Moreover, we are taught by the Sifri in that when the Jewish people went to battle, it was this ark that went in front of them. They were successful in overcoming the 31 kings in Eretz Yisrael because the ark with the shivrei luchos, with the broken pieces, went before them in battle. Now, the Talmud in Brachos 8b teaches in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, a very powerful lesson. Be careful with the honor and respect and dignity to be given to an elderly scholar, who unfortunately has forgotten his Torah learning, Mahmas Onso, not any fault of his, call it dementia, call it Alzheimer, whatever has set in, but now he's not the same person. The question is, what kind of respect are we to give this individual? And Rabbi Shuab and Levi teaches we are, we are to give this individual the same kind of respect as we gave him before. Why? Because Luchos, the Shivrei Luchos, Munachos Pa'aron. 
because not only were the second set of luchos that Moshe brings down on Yom Kippur placed in the ark that was made by B'Tzalel, but Shivrei luchos as well, the broken pieces were placed in that ark as well. And so even though the Talmud tells us in Psachim that the letters literally flew off the luchos when Moshe broke them, similarly, the individual who has forgotten and lost his Torah, the Torah has made such an impression upon his body, literally, not only upon his soul, that it's still considered a Kli Kodesh. It's still considered literally a holy object. And the holy object is one for which we would stand, and the holy object is one that we treat with great honor, dignity, and sanctity. Now, what emerges from this is such an important practical concept. Namely, unfortunately, we live in a world today where things are measured, the criteria and the standard is what is practical. If a person has a quality of life, then, unfortunately, if they should be in a a life-threatening situation, well, we will exert our time effort, resources to try to save that person because after all he is of use to society. But Lo'alenu, if a person is old and frail and does no longer have that quality of life, so there are, sad to say, in countries in Europe, the concept of literally the mercy killing is common. It is within the law, meaning that the idea that we can literally put the person out of their misery is something that is looked upon as doing something kind. And we say just the opposite. We say that each and every individual has a great deal of dignity, of purpose, just by virtue of the fact that they have lived a life worth living, that person is a clay kodesh, and we would be mechalo Shabbos for that person. And not only are we mechalo Shabbos for that person in order that they be able to observe other Shabbosos, we are taught that even for Chaye even for prolonging life for but a few moments. Namely, it should never happen, God forbid. A building collapses and somebody is clearly under the rubble and the doctors say there's no way that they'd be able to live for any 
extended period of time, but that person might still be alive. It's Shabbos. We run to the bulldozers and what would be considered normally Mechalel Shabbos to desecrate the Shabbos. Here, we suspend all the laws of Shabbos and try to get him out of the rubble, even to extend his life for just a few moments. The Jewish concept is not the criteria of quality of life, but life itself is quality. And this is such an important point. The Abarbanel and before the Abarbanel, Rashi, in his commentary on Shira Shirim, teaches us that the Ten Commandments are not only to be read literally downward, one through five and six through ten, but they can be understood with a relationship going across as well. And therefore, number one and number six are related. Number one is Anochi, I am your God, I am the creator. Number six is thou shalt not kill. Do you want to know why you can't kill? You can't kill because... Man is created in the image of God. There is God in each and every person, and each and every person is such an important world unto themselves, and therefore they are precious, and therefore life is to be maintained and sustained literally till the end. And therefore, I strongly recommend, as a practicing rabbi, I've seen this too many times where everybody means well, but when there are issues at the end of life and people are no longer in a position to make decisions for themselves, and all the children mean well, but sometimes they're coming from very different vantage points. Are they coming from Jewish law or are they coming from what they consider to be their own emotions? And after all, if you take a look in Bereshus chapter 9, where the Torah prohibits the act of murder. So the Torah says in chapter 9, verse 5, you'll take a look, adam from man, miyad ish ochiv, even from a brother. When would you have a brother killing a brother? When a brother is, God forbid, very sick, and he says to his brother, please, if you love me, kill me. Now there's no question about it, that Jewish law is concerned about pain, and Jewish law will do anything and everything to reduce, and however, life is so sacred, and therefore, I strongly recommend that people fill out a halachic living will, and the aguda halachic living will is so concise and on the money. Namely, it identifies a family member and a rabbi, and therefore it removes the pressure and takes away the unfortunate, uh, well-meaning, but terrible disruptions of family that could emerge at a time of -of end-of-life situations. I just want to conclude by saying today is Purim Katan, similar as to what we've been saying until now. It is, the Talmud says, which is the real Purim when I have a leap year? The first Adar, because we don't want to pass over the mitzvah. The second Adar, which gets the nod in terms of having Purim next to Pesach. And so the answer is, while we observe Purim as we know in the second Adar, the first Adar today, Purim Katan, is like 
the body which no longer has the mitzvos. In other words, today is the 14th of Adar, and we just don't have the mitzvah to read the Megillah. We don't have the mitzvah of Mishloach Manos. However, the Today is Purim, and therefore, number one, we don't eulogize. Number two, we don't fast. Number three, we didn't say Tachnun Lamatseach. Tomorrow, we don't say Tzidkascha. But more than that, the Ramah says that while certainly there might not be an obligation to have something special today, Mishta Vesimcha, Tov Lev, Mishta Tamid one who is literally with a good heart recognizes God all around us will have that special something today to show that today is a significant day in Jewish history Shabbat Shalom to all